Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today, we are focusing in back in studio with Mike Renner, players to watch in training camp. This is the last week before football is played every week through the Super Bowl. Stoked for that. So we're going to look at some young players, some rookies, second-year players, battles to watch in training camp as we march on training camp. And also at the back end of the show, interviews with NC State head coach Dave Dorn and Purdue head coach Jeff Brom. Let's get it. A lot of people don't know, before I got to San Diego State, I worked at my dad's weed shop. He owned a mm-hmm. weed shop in San Jose. It was called Emerald Crossings. I worked with him. I didn't even know this. Yeah, yeah. It's a new, it's a new <laughs> one. So I worked with him. Uh, the shifts were 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Nonstop. It was a, there's a lot of stories, wild stories from working at Emerald Crossings and selling weed before it was kind of illegal to, to different people in San Jose. One of my favorite ones, though, this is when my dad was drinking heavy, heavy, like drinking at work, just going in. And on Wednesdays, his favorite waitress would work at um, Texas Roadhouse. She, he was in love with her. Thought she was the cutest thing in the world. Say, hey, on Wednesdays after work, we are going to go to Texas Roadhouse. His order, a Cadillac margarita, two shots, another Cadillac margarita. Dude was sending it every single time, and every single time, without fail, trying the same pickup lines. What was her name? Bianca. Trying the same pickup lines on Bianca every single Wednesday at Texas. And I'm, I, I was, this was before I was 21. I was still um, right in high school. And I think then it was like, dude, my dad looks like a moron every single time. Bianca's just never going to be there for her. But she would flirt with him, and the tips were massive. My dad was dropping absolute bombs on, on Bianca every single Wednesday. But the best part of it was, obviously that part was an obvious highlight, because every single time it was the same stories, the same pickup lines, Bianca being the sweetest person in the world about it. But on the way back, it was a different – so I drove. My dad, obviously, you know, not a big driver. Um, when we drive back, we'd go down this turn, the specific turn – that we wouldn't go back if we didn't go to Texas Roadhouse. And there's this turn where it's like 25-mile-an-hour speed limit to get on ramp on the freeway. Mm-hmm. And he is, every single time, without fail, tells the same story about how he would take that fr- that same turn at a buck or 100 miles an hour. He's like, I would take this turn. He'd call me like a pussy. And he's like, I would take this turn at a buck. And every single Wednesday, the funniest thing is the, the miles per hour would change. So the next <laughs> Wednesday, it'd be like, I would take this turn at like 90. I was like, wow, Dad, you're kind of being lame this week, huh? And sometimes it's 110. I would record it. So it got to a point where I was recording it every Wednesday. And I played it for our fellow coworkers at Emerald Crossings. And I played it for my dad. And he's like, no way. I say that every time. I was like, dude, without <laughs> fail you take that turn at either 80 or 120 every single time and i've never gone over like 30 on it but it was uh the emerald crossing stories man i might have to start bringing those more regularly to the podcast because i forgot that's a part of my life you don't even know and well, it's it's an, it's an insane one texas roadhouse was my favorite restaurant as a kid it's it's got i would, bomb. I would ask bomb. to go there every birthday the rolls i would put down an egregious amount i'd be so full by the time the honey butter that or whatever my meal would come around that sometimes I wouldn't even finish. And for me, not to finish a meal Dude. is a rarity. I would probably put down about three baskets myself. There was one time at Emerald Crossing, I'm going one more Emerald Crossing story, where my dad was so hungover, he was asleep from the start of the shift to the end. And I had to wake him up to drive him home. And he got paid a full day of money for that. We got paid under the table in cash. And he got paid a full day of money just sleeping, sleeping. while I handled the entire store. It was, it was, a, it was a disaster. Anyway, um, do you want to jump to a Miami story? Do you want to save no, that for the Wednesday just, episode? No, we'll save that. I've just been... 
Uh, I've been in a lot of different places around the U.S. Dude, you just I was been on PTO vacation season. for the last few weeks. I mean, we have a limited vacation here. I think That's I'm true. the only one that actually uh, utilizes that. You, yeah. on the other hand, have been busy as hell <laughs> trying to onboard all these people and all that stuff. But it's great to see you back in studio. You're looking tan as hell, man. You're looking, yeah, looking pretty good here. Um, so for today, like what you probably didn't come for was the Animal Crossing Texas Roadhouse stories. We are going to look at some players to watch or battles to watch in training camp. This is the last week without football until the Super Bowl, and we're going to do it by position. But before we do so, there's so many stories. We haven't hit on a lot of these stories. Yeah. Xavier Howard, not happy with his contract. Um, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, not happy with much. The Last Dance Instagram photos. Where do you want to start with all this? Let's go, let's go with the Rodgers, Adams. Obviously, I have the shirt on right yeah. now. The Aaron Rodgers with Last the belt. Dance. But I, I saw that, obviously, so they both posted the same picture on their Instagrams of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen shaking hands. Um, me, my interpretation of that was, they're coming back. Year. One more year. One more year. They, they wouldn't think of last year as the last dance. If I can lost in the NC Championship game, it yeah. would have to be this upcoming season with Adams one year left. And they just said contract, contract talks are off the table now. They are too far apart. Whatever. One, it, and that was immediately, this, it was the Devonta Adams contract talks are done. That next day, last dance picture. That to me is what that is. It means they're going one more time around and then they're both out of Green Bay, which... I'm happy. I'm fine with that. End of an era. <laughs> I mean, it's the end of an era. I, I do think that it adds some clarity to what yeah. has been like an absurd situation of like, is he going to Denver? Is he retiring? Hosting Jeopardy? I think you saw Ian Rapport. I mean, tweet. I'm not sure that's any clarity. That's like, I'm not sure. No, that's no, but you saw Ian Rapport tweet today yeah. that there are people now close in Green Bay that fe- that Rodgers has told he plans to play this upcoming season. I think the last dance IG story was an exclamation point on that, that he's coming back for this year. Yeah. I think a lot of people weren't even sure if he was going to play in 2021. I mean, I think the fantasy football community was, like, I didn't think it was. considering Jordan Love in certain situations. Uh, sports books don't even have the Green Bay Packers win totals up for the majority of the offseason. No one knew it was going to happen. I think now, and I've been saying that I thought he was going to retire. Now, obviously, you have to have confidence that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are coming back for one more year. A couple other things I wanted to talk about. Uh, Xavier Howard, not necessarily requesting a trade officially, but is voicing his concern over his contract. And what's interesting about his contract is that average salary per year, Xavier Howard is the sixth highest paid corner in the NFL, right around where you probably pay him. The problem is, is his contract and guaranteed money is one of the worst structured contracts among all cornerbacks. And he fired his agent, is now with a new agent, and requesting more money and guaranteed salary. And here's why. Byron Jones, opposite of him, signed, I think, a year later in free agency, is making roughly the same APY, but so much more guaranteed money. Like, Xavier Howard is not playing with a lot of guarantees. I think, ultimately, Miami would obviously be smart to restructure that contract or find a way to put more guarantees in it. But of all 32 teams in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins are put, have put more money in 2021 in the cornerback position than any other team. Like yeah. They don't have a lot of room to grow here. There could be opportunity to trade him, and I think it ties perfectly with, and I wrote this piece yesterday with Brad Spielberger, Chandler Jones' trade request. He wants a little bit more cheddar. Mm-hmm. Xavier Howard wants a little bit more money. Cardinals pay... Uh, pay the cornerback room the lowest in the NFL, could bring in Xavier Howard, potentially move Chandler Jones to, obviously, Brian Flores there in Miami. I think there could be a superstar swap in the making, potentially. Oh, I don't see that. I, I think the Miami Dolphins would be absolutely insane to do something like you that. You think? I, I do. And it's because you have four years left on your deal here. You signed through 2024. Now, the fact that Xavier Howard signed a bad contract, that's on him at the end of the day. If you want to hold out and miss camp... Uh, you're paying those fines. Like the NFL can't forgive fines anymore. Teams can't forgive fines when guys come back. So I'm kind of SOL in terms of any sort of holding out and not playing uh, games. If you don't play, you don't show up, you just lose a contract here. And I think Miami, for just long term business purposes, 
has to call his bluff. You can't have a guy two years after he signed a contract hold, like not playing football, kowtowing to a guy's request, mm-hmm. no matter how good he's been over that span. It reminds me a lot of when kind of T.O. back in the day had that. I think it was with was it with Philly where he, two years into his deal, it, he's already like upset with it. And it's like, yeah, because you got the guaranteed money all up front. You got the bonus all up front. And now, yes, fire your agent, blame your agent, whatever, but you still sign that deal. You can't, as a franchise make the habit of just giving into those, giving into those. I think that's how you get kind of the Atlanta Falcons situation with Julio Jones. Two years left on his deal. He was unhappy. They give him a sweetheart three-year extension, and all of a sudden you're in cap hell because you gave a guy, you know, you bent over backwards to his requests, and he started to get some declining play out of him. So what do you ultimately think plays out for both Xavier Howard and Chandler Jones? Who are they playing for respectively in 2021? Chandler Jones is the one. What, he has one year left on his deal? Mm-hmm. I believe this is last year. $15.5 million in 2021 cap hit. Non-guaranteed, though. Yeah, so th- that's the one where last year of a guy's deal, I, I'd be much more willing to part ways. Now, it's bad sort of business to say, hey, let me go sign J.J. Watt to make my guy unhappy here and not give him the money or whatever. But I, I think in that scenario, with one year left, I'd be much more willing to say, okay, what can we get back for this guy? Mm-hmm. I, I do think that there's opportunity specifically for the Cardinals to you know, do a contract extension, push some of that money into the future, and honestly help their books for this upcoming season. But I don't know if they're going to be able to pull that off. I know, I think we saw the report from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN say that the Cardinals do not want to trade Chandler Jones. They like him as a locker room piece. He obviously is coming off a torn biceps injury that let, he, he was out of 11 games last year. Uh, but in the year prior, was a top 10 edge according to PFF grade. You know, I think he had, what, 45 or so total pressures. I do think that Chandler Jones, I think on PFF's latest edge rankings, the 16th ranked edge in the NFL, I think he can be a top top 15 player at his position when healthy. Be interested to see what the Cardinals do, especially because you know, in that they're in that spot where Kyler Murray is going to start asking for some cheddar here soon. Like if you're go- mm-hmm. if you're going to extend Kyler Murray, you're going to need a lot of cap space to do it. And are you going to be spending on Chandler Jones, etc.? It seems it's a little odd from Chandler Jones' perspective. Like his money right now this year, fifteen million, is still good. And the only thing is, just his age is getting up. Like he will be thirty-two when he has to sign his next deal when mm-hmm. he hits free agency. He's not going to get more than two or three years then at that point. So maybe this year you get a three-year, two-year extension, but. This one, I, I don't see how you're the Cardinals, how you, one, extend him like, with, like you said, Kyler Murray. They're going to need to have money somewhere, and two, his age. So they're kind of all in for this year. They kind of just have to say, I think at the end of the day, they're going to be not really taking many calls either. Last pieces of news here, and then we'll jump to the training camp battles. But any, any uh, high-level comments on the Sam Hubbard extension? Four years, $40 million. That $10 million APY puts him at 36th. Typhus 36th at his position in pay per year. And then Anthony Miller traded, I think, for a late-round pick swap to the Houston Texans. Could be the number two, number three there with Kiki Kuti and Brandon Cooks. I'll say this about Hubbard. That's good business for Cincinnati. He's a Cincinnati native who has played well for his, you know, well at his position for a third round pick. One of the more underrated run defenders in the NFL. I think he ranked first in run stops among all at his position in 2020. And you're not breaking the bank to do it. And you're keeping in a guy that I know Zach Taylor, Solomon, uh, Solomon Wilcox here at PFF has spoke to as a legitimate locker room presence. Anytime you see contracts like that where you're signing quality depth, in home grown depth. At that kind of contract value, I think it's a good decision for Cincinnati. As for Anthony Miller, I mean, I don't know how big of a deal this is going to be. I loved his tape um, at Memphis, specifically that UCLA game, but he's not really panned out to be you know, much better than advertised. Yeah, the Hubbard one, in my opinion, it's not something that they needed to do. Like, that is not a blue chip piece that you need to keep in-house sort of thing. Like, you can let guys like that walk. That's not a huge deal. But if you live in Cincinnati at all, 
you would know it was going to get done. Like he's on all their promotional stuff yeah. all over town. He is like the face I mean, the, of the franchise because Cincinnati of the story. He's because from he Cincinnati, his head. Yeah. yeah, and then went to Ohio State. Like locally, he is a fan favorite. Even though everyone, their mother would agree, the pass rush was the problem last year. Yeah, and Carl Lawson was not the problem. Yes. So who was the problem? I mean, like Sam Hubbard is a below average starting defensive end as terms of pass rushing ability. So yeah, that that from that perspective, like. High motor, though. You, get, you gave a lot of money to a guy who's not helping out your pass rush too much. So, uh, like I said, I wouldn't have done it, but if you were like I said, familiar with the Cincinnati landscape at all, you knew it was just writing was on the wall. What's wild to me is that in that same draft class, a round earlier, the Bengals drafted Jesse Bates, safety at Wake Forest, who I think is going to be looking for a pretty decent chunk of change in a contract extension soon. To the fact that they got Hubbard done before Bates, I think is is not super surprising given that Bates is going to qu- you know require probably more money at least yeah. relatively to the position. Do you think they ultimately get a done a deal done with? Bates? I do, and for the exact same reason, like it is Hubbard and Bates who are the guys you see all over town on like they, they're trying to make them face of the franchise. I do think that Bates is going to be they will get that done, and they've done sort of well with the guys in the past who are like I said that they kind of tab as face of the franchise. They usually at least give them that second contract. So what's interesting with Jesse Bates, too, is that right now, PFF, he's, he's a big PFF darling. I think he ranked first among safeties in PFF grade this past year. He's the number eight safety on our preseason 2021 rankings. And even in ESPN's poll, they've been doing a poll for all those, so like more of a national narrative. He's the 10th-ranked player. Highest ranking was six, but the lowest ranking was unranked, unranked on this list. So I'm interested to see you know, what, what the opinions are from the league, you know, around the league on Jesse Bates, because it sounds like yeah. it might be pretty widespread. Some seem as a top six safety in the NFL. Others not even in the conversation, so that's that's a very interesting piece on Bates. All right, shall we get to the training camp battles now? Training camp is yes. interesting because the training camp videos are fire. I'm going to be pumping these out on Twitter like it's my job. Everyone loves to see it. You love to see it. But when we say players to watch and stuff like that, it's not so much you know we're going to be turning on the all 22 practice film. We don't have access to that. But I think what you do look for is quotes, press conferences. Conversate, beat writers reporting who's starting, who's taking starting caliber yeah. reps. That's what you're looking for. Not necessarily, oh, wow, that was a saucy route and run on ones. You're more often looking at what is the hype around this player. And, but be careful with it. Brian Edwards was hyped up as the next coming of Randy Moss last year. You need, and also, like you talk about, like there was that time, season where Pat Mahomes threw five picks in a, in a camp or whatever. So I do think yeah. that take everything with a grain of salt. I'm looking for more legitimate snaps played, starter quality, and also injuries. You've got to be looking for people who are getting dinged up and not getting that opportunity to compete for positions. Um, before we do so, I do have to mention Western and Southern. Still a sponsor here at PFF, the helmet on the table. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Quarterback. I mean, this is obvious. We're going to be looking at the Justin Fields versus Andy Dalton battle, all of training camp and all of the preseason, because I do think that's the rookie quarterback situation with an interesting amount of uncertainty, but also a high level chance, a high chance that they do start. Cause the other, obviously Zach Wilson, and Trevor Lawrence are starting. Trey Lance is not currently being thought of as the starter for San Francisco, at least week one. I mean, mm-hmm. neither is Justin Fields to be fair. And Mac Jones, I think is probably the least likely of the rookie quarterbacks in drafted in the first round to start. What's your initial thought on Justin Fields and maybe the likelihood that he does beat out Dalton in camp slash preseason. Yeah. So for me, the biggest takeaways that I get from training camp is not some beat reporter saying this guy looked good. Uh, like that's the sort of the limited access they get and kind of the limited scope of what they see 
I'm not looking for evaluations on these players. I'm looking for what kind of reps are they getting? And then what is the head coach saying about them? And like where they fit in kind of the hierarchy. That's what I'm really paying attention for is those type of things that you can't fake a guy getting first team reps if he's not, you know, wasn't supposed to get first team reps or whatever. Like that is, they're going to, the NFL, the coaching staff is going to play those guys, is going to give reps accordingly based off of how they feel they fit in the hierarchy. So Justin Fields is the one where what kind of reps is he going to be getting? Like, obviously I was on this, I was on a golf trip this past weekend with a bunch of guys in Chicago, bunch of Bears fans. All they want to talk about was Justin Fields. All they want to talk about is Justin Fields and obviously me being a Packers fan, Aaron Rodgers retiring. So I think he's not going to start right away. I don't think he's going to start anytime soon, to be honest. Maybe not even at all year one. But what kind of reps is he getting and how does he sort of talked about on those reps by head coach Matt Nagy? No, and I think that's going to be that's going to be everything. We obviously had uh, Matt Nagy on the Chris Collinsworth podcast here at PFF, and he talked a lot about the plan right now is Andy Dalton be the starter, but I do think they're they're going to closely evaluate the competition. And if Justin Fields, I think there are going to be Bears fans that are clamoring for Justin Fields to take the field, especially if he starts to show any signs of life. And because I mean, the Bears fans have been waiting for signs of life for a long yeah. time. You know, I uh, talking to a Bears fan recently, it's like we have not had like you know the legitimate quarterback in a long time. You know, I do think that Bears fans, if Justin Fields throws like one pretty bomb in preseason, it might be over. Yeah, I was playing those two guys who were debating whether uh chris Mc, oh, Mc, uh, mcmahon goddamn mike Mc, mcmahon no. no vince mcmahon no it's not vince mcmahon i don't know i, I can't remember mcmahon's name uh or jay cutler were the best quarterback in bears franchise history that was how bad that's how bad it's been that's tough and, and andy dalton's a known known quantity mm-hmm. you like that's why it's like you sent out Andy dalton there you're slapping your franchise in the face fr- yeah. your fans base in the face because everyone knows how good he is and it's not a guy who can lead you to where you want to go mm-hmm so that's why it's like if Justin Fields is fucking ready, just give him the chance. Yeah. So is that a quote graphic? If Justin Fields is fucking ready, give him the chance. Social team sprinting to the card. Uh, the only quarterback competition I'll mention in addition to that, Jim I think McMahon. it Jim McMahon, you're right. Uh, is the showing our age there. At I least know. mine. At least mine. Um, but Trey Lance versus Jimmy Garoppolo. I, the reason this one's interesting for me, and I know Jimmy G is the favorite to start, according to most sports books, by a significant degree, is that I do think that the offenses will be significantly different between the two. Like the Trey Lance offense led in San Francisco is not going to be all that similar, in my opinion, to what Shanahan wants to run with Jimmy G. I think he's going to want to do more quarterback design runs and, and get Trey Lance more on the move than he would with Jimmy Garoppolo. And for that reason, like, are you going to install two of those offenses and think about that thing? Or or, or how would you approach that situation? Yeah, I think that's the most intriguing thing about that battle is it's going to – those are two vastly different skill sets. Yeah. And they're two vastly – they require two vastly different offenses, kind of. Like, it, two, for both of them, the best offense of them succeed, they're not going to look anything alike. So w- what is it going to look like when Lance is in in preseason or whenever versus what when Garoppolo is in? And I'm not a big fan of, obviously, throwing – quarterbacks year one to the wolves as a runner because the speed of the game is so different and it will especially be so for lance considering the way he moved as a runner compared to his competition it's gonna be night and day like he he had guys you know he was running away from safeties running four nines there at north dakota state at times like those were not high caliber athletes the angles he had to take were not the same as the angles he'll have to take in the nfl the times he'll have to slide in college are not the same times he'll have to slide in the nfl so just that sort of speed of the game. I'm not a fan of really giving him a ton of ru- rushes right out the gate when he does get the rock as a starter, but it is something that you're going to have to utilize uh, in a way. So 
that's what I'm most forward, looking forward to in that battle. Let's jump to running back. Uh, Travis Etienne is, is, a, is a player you wanted to highlight here. Obviously, his role in the Jacksonville Jaguars offense will be interesting. There's been trade speculation. I think Nate Tice mentioned that um, when Cam Akers went down with injury, we didn't even talk about that in terms of news. But I guess that's not all that significant for the Rams from a win total perspective. But still, Cam Akers down, lost for the season with a ruptured Achilles. Expectation there is that Daryl Henderson, the former Memphis back, will assume you know RB one responsibilities. They're not you know jumping jumping on the phone to go get Le'Veon Bell or um, Adrian Peterson or Todd Gurley in, in the Rams locker room. They're looking to keep Daryl Henderson. But with the Jaguars, there is going to be this competition between James Robinson and Travis Etienne for snaps where do you think that ultimately plays out yeah so Najee Harris obviously we know what his role is going to be with Pittsburgh I think Javante Williams in Denver you're pretty confident it's just going to be a split of touches with him and Melvin Gordon but ETN's the one where shit we don't know he came in and Urban Meyer called him the third down back and then at rookie minicamp he was a wide receiver so where is he going to fit in I am intrigued by the option of him being kind of on the field all the time, even when James Robinson's in there and being utilized as a wide receiver. But until we see what that role looks like, yeah. I'm not necessarily going to be sure. And uh, we said it before, LaVisca Chanel is the guy who could also play that role. Mm-hmm. So who's, is it going to be, what's LaVisca's role then going to look like? And that offense saw something that obviously remains to be seen. And what even does Urban Meyer's offense fucking look like? Yeah. It's something that no remains to be seen. So I think that has a lot of intrigue surrounding That's, what ETN's going to look like. That beat specifically, you know, if you're on Twitter or you're following The Athletic or ESPN, people who have, you know, team reporters, that beat's going to be very, very interesting for a billion reasons. But how are they using Travis Etienne? What is their expectation for James Robinson? Is he going to be an early down back entering year two? And you, you have a receiving core that a lot of people are interested in. LaVisca Chanel Jr., um, obviously DJ Chark coming back from injury, and then didn't even mention his name, but <laughs> biggest prize, um, Trevor Lawrence and, and how that offense is going to look. I think that's going to be an interesting beat to follow. Etienne and Robinson at the forefront there competing for the ro- top running back spot. Where I went with this is Kenneth Gainwell competing for that number two, number three running back spot behind Miles Sanders, who obviously is going to be the focal point of that offense. I think fantasy projections reflect that. DraftKings Sportsbook has their win to, or his rushing yards total very high. They expect him to be the starter and the focal point from a touches perspective. But you have this competition of Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell, and newly signed on Johnson to see who's going to be that other back taking touches. And I would not be surprised if Gainwell you know, surpasses Scott and Johnson because of his receiving chops and what he did at Memphis and that explosive ability he does bring yeah i i think he will but I, this one to me is just like it's gonna be miles sanders work he's the bell cow bell cow in that offense for sure so uh, i do i would foresee gainwell getting that number two though off of kenneth gainwell on the running back position let's go ahead and jump to i always say go ahead and jump i need to stop saying go ahead and jump no more jumping wide receivers but, we're, but we are jumping we are jumping I mean, we're bumping <laughs> elijah moore denzel mims crowder the Jets, the Jets is in an, are in an interesting spot at the wide receiver position. Elijah Moore, I think a lot of people see him as potentially the top target for Zach Wilson. I mean, he is that talented. Where do you see Elijah Moore fitting into this receiving core? And I think the other question I'd add is, does Denzel Mims, second-year receiver out of Baylor, take that jump that a lot of people expect from him? Yeah, this is easily the most intriguing sort of wide receiver room to me in the NFL. Uh, for a number of reasons. And one is because, obviously, Moore, like, we were super high on him. He, he was the guy they drafted – you know, at the top of the second round, they obviously had a full stable of wide receivers. Three, a starting three, that's fairly solid. I don't think anyone would poke holes in it. Like they didn't need a guy, and still felt the need to draft Elijah Moore. I mean, they were probably pretty damn high on him. So then James Crowder, they give him that sort of uh, you know contract adjustment down a bit. 
and from just a long-term team building perspective, you would want more to see snaps. You would want more to build a rapport with Zach Wilson because he's feasibly under contract for the next four years and beyond. None of these other guys you could say that about. So you would want him to start and be that guy for Zach Wilson for you know Zach Wilson's entire career if you could. So I think that's a very interesting dynamic to see how that ends up playing out here during training camp. Do you think that Denzel Mims can be a number one in the NFL? I mean, we didn't see enough from him last year. I guess, what are your expectations for his year two? And I don't know, because a lot we really liked him after that senior bowl. I think we had him as a top 35 mm-hmm. player on PFF's draft board entering that, um, the 2019 NFL draft. I think I still have a lot of hope for Mims. Obviously, the quarterback situation is going to be improved. The offensive line situation is going to be improved. That offense should take a step forward. And if Mims doesn't, my take is, if Mims can't take a step forward with this offense, there's, there's going to be reason for concern with his development. Yeah, I, I do think if he's the odd man out in this rotation, that's bad. Not a good thing. It's not a good thing for him. But I, I don't think he will be. I think I, I think James Crowder will be the odd man out in this rotation, if anyone. Uh, so uh, another interesting receiving core that involves a rookie too is the Washington football team. Obviously, with Deami Brown, Curtis Samuel, and Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, all there for the Washington football team with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, I talked to so I talked to Mac Brown recently. Mac Brown. Surprising no one has very high expectations for De'Ami Brown as a rookie, obviously a former UNC wide receiver. You don't say. I, what I love about Mac Brown specifically is that he's so fast, he's so big, he's so good in contested catch situations, just freaking praising his guy, loving De'Ami Brown. Do you think he is clearly third fiddle in this offense, or does he step? I, I think there's a chance with how Curtis Samuel at least has been leveraged in previous years for him to be the number two and Samuel to be kind of third fiddle in this offense. Th- that actually reminds me, just quick, take a quick sidetrack is when like the only time I've ever heard a head coach, college head coach, say, no, like I, I like don't think he's ready, don't think he's good, was Brian Kelly about Sean Kaiser. Really? Like, every time every time like a guy gets asked about, oh, he's gonna be great, this guy's excellent. He's I don't remember that. Brian Kelly said to Sean Kaiser's not ready when he was coming. Oh no, I do <laughs> remember, remember that? that. And yeah. everyone's like, oh how could he say that? How could he say that? Well shit, you know, Sean Kaiser might not have been ready in retrospect. But maybe he was just looking out for his best interest there. But I do think in this sort of three deep how they've built it it's very versatile all those guys can go outside inside um versatile body types i i like the way washington's built this receiving core now ryan fitzpatrick quarterback position obviously it's a tbd what we're going to get from that but uh, i do think jami slots in right away um and you get have a sort of three deep that can pretty much do whatever you would like them to do uh from a role perspective which is nice nice flexibility for an oc Tight end position. I don't. I couldn't figure out my own battle here. There's only one tight end I'm going to be watching and looking out for in training camp. That's a rookie, at least, and, and it's Kyle Pitts. We're number eight for the Atlanta Falcons. Obviously, Julio Jones no longer in Atlanta. Calvin Ridley going to be, I think right now, according to PFF's fantasy football projections, projected to lead the NFL in receiving yards. But right behind him, I think this duo could be pretty nasty. Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley with Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons in 2021. I mean, the expectations for him are the highest for a tight end I've seen in a long time. You know, for him to come, people are expecting him to be a top five tight end in the NFL in year one. Do you think he gets there? And I guess what would be something you want to see in training camp surrounding Kyle Pitts, whether it's a beat, whether it's a a training camp highlight? What what are you hoping to see if you're a Falcons fan with Kyle Pitts in either the preseason or or training camp? I guess my initial response is not get freaking hurt. Hurt, I mean, I guess that would be that would be important. Sim to stay healthy. Uh, he will be. I mean, he'll be the second option in this offense. I, I I do think he finishes with top five sort of tight end stats when it's all said and done. Because 
one, when you draft a guy that highly, you're going to feature him. And two, it's just that fucking good. So, yeah, Pitts, he's really the only tight end that really intrigues me in terms of, like, what are we going to see from him? I just want to see if his – that sort of just utter dominance we saw at the catch point in Florida, if you can still do a little bit of that here in the NFL. All righty. I do think that the other piece, too, is that how is he being leveraged? You know, I'd love to see from the Falcons beat. He's working from the slot. They're using him on the outside. Mm-hmm. If they're strictly using him – and we said this in the pre-draft process. The team that drafts him, if you exclusively use him as an inline tight end, you are making a mistake. He needs to be leveraged on the outside. He needs to be very le- leveraged very similar to the other top tight ends in the NFL. Kittle. Leverage like a- – 50,000 times? times. Yeah. Is it better than jumped or worse than jumped? <laughs> I wasn't sure like what you actually meant by it either. But. Same. Uh, I do think that he needs to be used. Leveraged? Potentially even leveraged on yeah. the outside, inside, wherever you'd like to go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, offensive line. Uh, two battles we wanted to highlight here. The first one, Quinn Miners, obviously the Wisconsin Whitewater interior offensive lineman projected to play center for the Denver Broncos, going against second-year LSU product Lloyd Cushenberry. Yeah. Can't, Lloyd did not have a good year last Lloyd year. Lloyd did not. He got whooped in pass protection specifically mm-hmm. this is going to be a battle to watch between two very young players with high expectations for each i do think that this is going to be one of the more intriguing ones in preseason that i mean this is the reason you follow pff i mean there is not going to be a company capable reporting on the miners lloyd preseason battle like pff can with grades and obviously the pass protection stats and those things mm-hmm. this is going to be one we keep a close eye on oh for sure and it's because miners look so good at the senior bowl christian berry was the lowest grade center in the NFL last season. And the Broncos, outside of the center position, it's a top 10 offensive line in the NFL with what they got now adding Bobby Massey, Graham Glasgow, Dalton Reisner, and Garrett Bowles. Like, that's a, those guards and tackles are solid as can be. Just the center position, TBD. And I think, I think Miners ultimately wins that job, but. Lloyd, Lloyd Cushenberry is going to have to take a massive step forward if, he's, if it's going to be his in 2021. I talked to Shelby Harris recently. I think that interview dropped already on 241 Drafts. I do so many interviews. I don't even know when they come out. But the Shelby Harris interview was interesting to hear him talk about the Teddy Bridgewater versus Drew Locke quarterback competition. He said, mm-hmm. whichever one turns the ball over least. I don't That's know about lot. you. In terms of inferences, I think I know which quarterback he's eyeing for. I think the other thing he <laughs> mentioned, too, about Broncos camp that I thought was interesting um, is Sertan. I mean, the way he talked about Sertan is exactly how every draft analyst talked about. He's just like always in the right spot, does not play like a rookie, rarely out of place, rarely making mistakes. He's like, yeah. we're going to treat him like a rookie, but he's not playing like a rookie. And I do think that secondary is very interesting because there's so much talent. There's so much talent at cornerback and safety to where you know, Sertan's not like even an obvious yeah. starter they, there. They probably have the best cornerback four in the NFL. They're fourth cornerbacks, but better than anyone else. Which is exactly how you want to build a defense. The floor of your so secondary. I would, that's why I would want to build yeah, a defense. The floor of your secondary matters so much. I mean, you can't have, you know, find the fish concept that we've talked about a ton just can't happen you can't have clear-cut liabilities in the secondary or else it's going to get picked on doesn't matter if you have jalen ramsey if you got if you got a you know a fish on the other side he's going to get picked on uh the other offensive line battle we're going to look for i I added this one north dakota state product dylan radens going against kendall lamb there in tennessee dennis kelly's still free agent by the way i didn't i thought i expected kelly at least go on somewhere as a depth piece but titans moving on from dennis kelly uh they obviously have taylor lewan at left tackle but at right tackle is it going to be Kendall Lamb or Dylan Radins? I know we talked about Radins in the pre-draft process as one of those guys who could come in and play now. And then he shows up at the Senior Bowl and was, would you say, far and away the best offensive tackle prospect there? Like That's yeah. how good he was against top-caliber competition down there in Mobile. By the way, where the draft starts, where do you think Dylan Radins and Kendall Lamb end up? 
Uh, the draft starts here at PFF with the preseason. The draft, draft starts guide, in actually, Cincinnati. In the pre- preseason draft. I'll tweet guide. that. Go ahead and get yours. But sadly, Isaiah Wilson ain't walking through that door in this competition. Although maybe not sadly, because I think Dylan Raiden's the better player. And we shall see that in camp when I think he wins the job. I, I do. I, I don't think that one's going to be too much of a fight either. Oh, wow. Okay. Kendall Lamb on notice, on Sorry, call. Uh, before we jump to the defensive line, I had, I had something special to bring up, if, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Please do. Uh, and I, I said jump again. New sponsor here at PFF, specifically for two foreign drafts, highlighting us too as people that they want representing their brand. Manscaped. Support PFF. Support for PFF is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. They sent me some new products. I don't know if you've got yours yet. Oh, I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. I've been... I'm clean as a whistle down low. It's honestly absurd. It is... um, it doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that. You know, I'm out here grinding the tape, looking for something like what Manscaped can bring to the table. Um, and, and I finally found it. I have a good story, too. There was one time going out on a, a little date. You know, we're hoping for some good things. We're Where's hoping for some good going? things. We're, we're, we're hoping for, we're for a clean whistle. You know, and I, my buzzer at the time, battery charged. I'm trying to plug batteries in. I drop a battery, it flows under the sink, I can't get it. I'm butt naked trying to grab this battery under the sink, like an idiot, like trying to get this thing. Then I remember last minute, I'm like five minutes before I got to be at this bar. I remember that my remote has the same batteries. I plug those in, go, it doesn't work out. The date didn't go well. I was a little little optimistic. But now with the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0, your boy can't miss. They also gave me a nose hair trimmer. I mean, I don't know, man. I think Manscaped might be the new best thing in my life. I think that's where I'm at with Manscaped. So Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. My goodness. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer to you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I know, I now feel confident shaving my boys. Did I mention wireless charging? That's what I'm saying. I had the battery situation. They had wireless charging here. Battery situation, no more. New wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Whew, that was a mouthful, but honestly, couldn't stand by it more and more. You know, I think you have to get, get it done with Manscaped. Defensive line. Quiddy Pay versus Odie Ingbo in Indy. Your thoughts on how that, you know, Tyquan Smith's also there. I, I'm interested to see how Indy deploys this defensive line because they've, in my opinion, they, there's there's a lot of hope around Quiddy Pay obviously coming in and being an impact starter out of the mm-hmm. gate, but they also have some other talent there too that they, I'm sure, want to rotate in. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing to me is just seeing how this all shakes out because of the sheer amount of dudes they've drafted at the position in, in recent years. You have Tyquan Lewis, Kamoko Ture, Ben Banigou, all second rounders all in the past three years, all at that position too. Do those guys take that step forward? Do, yeah. do those guys take sort of the reps that you would expect Quiddy Pay as a first-round defensive then to come in and get? Uh, or is Quiddy Pay, you know, just take a massive next step after only playing a handful of games last year at Michigan and sort of continuing that upward trajectory you've seen from him in his career? Uh, and is Odi even going to be healthy? Is he even going to be back yeah. from his Achilles anytime soon? So that 
those. I could see them slow me. playing Odi Yangbo for yeah. sure, especially because, yeah. like you said, so many Quiddy Pay, twenty twenty one first rounder, Taekwon Lewis, twenty eighteen second rounder. You also have Ben Banigu at twenty nineteen second rounder, Kamoko Toure out of Rutgers, an eighteen second rounder. Like they have invested top fifty, top sixty picks yeah. along the defensive line. I think. For that reason, I think you could see a heavy rotation. I think you could see a lot of these guys getting involved, a lot of these guys playing a high percentage of snaps. But I also think of all those guys, Odi Yingbo, depending on the health and, and, and how close to 100% he is, uh, I think he could be maybe not necessarily the odd man out, but the guy that maybe plays the lowest amount of snaps compared to all those guys. Mm-hmm. Other defensive line battle I wanted to highlight was Neville Gallimore versus Tristan Hill versus our guy, friend of the pod, UCLA grad, Osa Odigizua, also the wrestling champ there. Um, where, how does this, does Tristan Hill, the odd man out here? I know you've, you've faded Tristan Hill since he was drafted. Neville Gallimore, the former Oklahoma defensive tackle, uh, 2020 draft pick, and Osa Odigizua drafted this year. How do you expect this rotation to play out? Yeah, I just I don't foresee Tristan Hill being able to see the field in any other scheme, but obviously what Rod Marinello is running, where it's a pure penetration scheme, he can't hold up to double teams or has not been able to so far in his career, is, is undersized, is a three-tech only, offers little in the way of versatility. So those other guys, Gallimore, Odigizua, far more versatile, far better against the run. I, I just think after all the issues they had last year, and obviously new defensive coordinator Dan Quinn coming over, I, I think Hill's probably the odd man out in that rotation. Only 333 total defensive so snaps just, in his he's career. He's going to be DPR probably yeah. in, that, in that defense. 33.8 PFF grade this past year, only 12 total pressures in his career. I mean, a lot of concern with, with Tristan Hill and what he's done, even just trying to, trying to get on the field for one. And then even when he is, he has been on the field, not grading all that well, not being super efficient as a pass rusher. I think you're going to see Gallimore and Osa Digizua potentially seize that opportunity more so than what Tristan Hill is capable of. Linebacker Jeremiah Owusu Kormoa is going to be a named watch for Cleveland on a defense. I mean, everyone talks about the offense. I think Ian Harditz, uh, a senior fantasy analyst here at PFF, mentioned that offensively on paper it can be really good. Defensively on paper, this thing also might be absurd. Like, they have so much talent on the back end. Talk about the secondary with a high floor. Greg Newsome, Grant Delpit, we'll talk more about those guys. But you got Jeremiah Wusukormoa, Miles Garrett. I really like who they have on the interior defensive line. I th- they added Jadavion Clowney. Like, I do think that this Browns defense, Jeremiah Wusukormoa, is fitting into what is already kind of a star-studded uh, unit. Yeah, I'm just curious to see his role. And, like I said, where he fits in after, obviously, it's talked about it all draft seasons. He was not a linebacker. He was a slot. He's 220 pounds. So you got to find a role for him. It's like not every defense does have a role. And not every defense is going to carve out a guy, carve out a spot for a guy like that, especially a second-round pick who's a rookie. So does he kind of just, do they say, hey, you're you know, our weak side linebacker, deal with it? Does he even start with you know them signing Anthony Walker with Sion Takitai being a third rounder a couple of years ago? I don't know, but curious. I, I think he does. I, I think he does end up. I think he does end up just playing like weak side linebacker again. Let's go thirty thousand foot view here. What we're looking for in training camp in the preseason. Obviously, in the preseason you'll have more opportunities with tape. We get access to the L twenty two right out of the gate for the preseason. You're going to be able to view how well these guys are playing out of the gate. But for the training camp stuff, I think what you're looking for is the beat writers there and the camp videos coming out of there showing is this person getting reps? Is this person healthy? You know, Jeremiah Wusu Cormo is another guy with injury and stuff that you have to look for. Um, I wanted to highlight this one in New Orleans. Zach Bond versus Pete Werner. 
Who gets more reps there? Both those guys could play similar roles. We've talked about Bond as a pass rusher and off ball. Pete Werner is a pass rusher and off ball. How do those guys get rotated into the mix? And what I think both of these guys could be productive players, even if you know one doesn't get more reps than the other or Bond because he is the veteran there gets more reps. I think even used in a rotation could be some exciting things for New Orleans, specifically their pass rush uh, this upcoming year. Yeah. Alex Anzalone ain't walking through that door right now. So this is, they got a competition for the second, second fiddle there to DeMario Davis. That linebacker, Bond only 102 snaps healthy last year. Did not see much time. So I, I am curious. Uh, I, I do think it'll be Werner. I, I think they were super high on him to really? draft him where they did back into the second round. Like I, I think you draft a linebacker that highly. Obviously, it's a position that some have devalued a ton. Plus, when Mickey gets nowadays. sees his guy, he gets his guy. He gets his guy. And so, but Bond was his guy too. He traded up for Bond as well. I don't know. He likes both of them. I think he likes Bond. He likes Werner. I'm interested to see how the coach deploys him at this point. I think yeah. Mickey doesn't really have. Or does Bond get dropped down? Do they use him to rush the pass for more? Because obviously they lost Trey Hendrickson. Uh, Trey Hendrickson was where they're one of or the they fit of Werner in drop package guys. That's again. What, what's the beat saying? Where are these guys at? What's the beat saying? I'm just saying I, I that. Could, all, could all, ultimately be I might say that for the rest of this week. What's the beat saying? I might tweet it. What's the beat saying? All right. For this, for cornerback, I think there's two secondaries specifically that there's a lot of interesting stuff. For the Titans, Caleb Farley, Christian Fulton, you know, first and second year guys that are going to have high. And then you also have Elijah Molden there too. Like you have fir- two yeah. first year guys and a second year guy with some high expectations entering 2021. Is that secondary going to take the fall off some expect? Obviously, losing their two starters and Malcolm Butler and Adoree Jackson from the previous year. Is there going to be a well, drop shit, off here? Is it going to be just because we've seen rookie cornerbacks in pre- you know, 2019 and 2020 just get dogged? Yeah. Are we going to see the Tennessee Titans be kind of an exclamation point for that kind of circumstance with just so much young talent there? Well, shit, they said scrap this secondary. We're done with all of you guys. We're <laughs> going to keep Kevin Byard because we really can't get rid of him. But we're going to keep him, our safety. And then everyone else, new. everyone must go. And so all new in that how it's going to fit together obviously remains to be seen. I think you could pencil in Farley for a starting job if he's healthy, but – What's up with the back? Like, is he, is he going to look like the same guy? Because he was CB1 before the back was an issue. But backs aren't just an issue once. They're usually an issue, and then an issue again, and then an issue again. So is that going to be the case? I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I will be curious to see. I'm probably more curious to see what Christian Fulton's doing in that secondary. Because the odd man out last year, even with injuries, didn't see a ton of playing time. Didn't even get the – wasn't even the starter in, as the slot. You know, sort of right out the gate. That was uh, was it Chris Jackson in that defense, seventh rounder, seventh rounder starting over him in the slot. So, does Fulton live up to the expectations that we had of him, which were pretty high coming out? I am. I'm really excited to see what happens at Tennessee Titans secondary. I just pulled up their depth chart, and it's like, man, like they are banking on some young dudes showing up. And and I wouldn't even say their pass rush. I mean, you, there's not a lot of confidence in that pass rush either. Like I do think that's still an area where they can improve. Obviously, they have Jeffrey Simmons, who I think PFF and even you know the league is very high on as a young and up and coming interior defensive lineman, specifically as a pass rusher. The former, I think, first rounder out of Mississippi State. Um, I, I'm interested to see what this defense does, man, because it could be an Achilles heel for what is an otherwise you know really star-studded team with Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Henry, Tannehill, etc. Brown's secondary, specifically for the cornerback position. you got Greg Newsom, Greedy Williams, yeah, obviously Denzel Ward. This there. one's the big unknown. This is a big unknown as well. you got John Johnson, Grant Delpit, Greedy Williams, Greg Newsom, and Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward Probably the most Denzel Ward and John Johnson, you feel really confident in what yeah. they're capable of. But Delpit, Newsom, and Williams 
all have significant strides, to, you know, significant areas to improve. Newsom being a rookie and obviously going to have to hit the ground running in a full sprint with the expectations for this Browns D. Well, they're all kind of lottery tickets. And lottery tickets that could pay off. Like, kind of small. It's a small second. High-drafted, highly-drafted dudes. But they are, those are all sort of coverage-first players. This is a coverage-first built defense. Those are not... Grant Delpit's no physical presence at safety. Greedy Williams is not a sort of physical presence at corner. These are coverage for, like I said, coverage for its players. So how they end up scheming and fitting into this defense will be very interesting to see how this shakes out. But this could be, I mean, on paper, just with sort of the evals we had of all these guys coming out, could be a top three to five secondary in the NFL. Could be. It also could be a bottom half of the NFL secondary, depending on just those unknowns that we haven't seen yet. You think it's that big of a roller coaster? I do. Wow. I mean, Williams, Delpit missing all of last year. We really just don't know what you're getting with those guys. That's brutal. That would be very unfortunate, just given the investment. You know, investment yeah. in Johnson, the investment they made, obviously, in Newsom and Williams and Delpit. Like they're, they're expecting big things, and I think if they, they fall flat on their face, buddy, that's going to suck for a Browns team that I think has high expectations. They want to compete for the AFC North. They want to make a deep postseason run with Stefanski and Baker Mayfield at the helm. Safety, then we'll close it out with interviews with Dave Dorn and Jeff Brom, Purdue and NC State head coaches. Javon Holland, Oakland-born, Bishop O'Dowd, grad, former Oregon Duck, with Miami and what another defense I'm going to be really excited to watch this year. I love what Brian Flores has done. It's a team that's also prioritized the secondary with Holland. Obviously, Xavier Howard could prioritize him more in guaranteed money. And then Byron Jones, um, the Auburn corner, forget um, Igbenogany, no Igbenogany as well. Where do you see Javon Holland fitting in? Do you see him playing significant snaps in 2021? Yeah, so this is another one where Miami has thrown the kitchen sink at their secondary. They've built their defense the way, again, we would build a defense with just so many picks and so much money invested in the secondary. And obviously just bringing in Jason McCory, Justin Coleman this offseason. You had Brand Jones as a third-rounder at safety last year. Holland has played slot and safety in his career at Oregon and then didn't even play last year in 2020. So where does he slot in, shall we say? Mm. Mm. Do you think he play, you think he's gonna play in the slot? No, I, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know exactly the role he'll play. I, he, I would think he'd play. You talked a little bit about how maybe he could even play outside corner. I did. I, I think he could, but I, I do think his versatility is why they drafted him so highly. Is why they made him the number one safety off the board in last year's draft, and, and he will be probably wearing a number of different hats and, and probably just i mean like with how much man coverage they play and how much cover zero they play you have to be able to be that flexible um mm-hmm. from coverage perspective like as i say at the safety position you can't just be a guy who needs to be deep because sometimes a tight end will be split wide and that's yours and so he'll be an outside cornerback at times in that defense so i do think that's probably going to be his role a lot of man coverage on tight ends and things like that Last piece for the safeties here, and then we'll jump to the interviews with Dorn and Brom. I, I couldn't find another rookie kind of battle I wanted to kind of take take on here, but Duggar, um, uh, Kyle Duggar, the New England Patriots, second-year safety out of uh, Lenore Rhine. You know, ben Lindsay wrote up for the website him competing with Adrian Phillips for, for snaps there at safety for the New England Patriots, and he's a guy that I think a lot of people in the Patriots front office have high expectations for and the coaching staff, and also I think a lot of smart football minds know just how good he was out of the gate in a COVID impacted season with no with no you know opportunity to really play in the preseason, how good he was last year coming from Lamar Ryan to the NFL is absurd. Yeah. I'm really excited to see him play and hoping he gets a bigger role and ends up taking that starting job at safety. Even if he doesn't, I think he's going to play a bunch of snaps. Like the guy is too talented and physically what he brings to the table is too much to 
just keep him off the field. I, I, I loved what I saw from him as a rookie. So. 6'2", 220. Last year, played 520 snaps going from Lenore Ryan to the NFL, uh, a 64.1 PFF grade. I mean, I'm expecting that to improve. I'm also expecting he's going to be that guy that I think every single week you're seeing NFL analysts, NFL film analysts saying, oh, buddy, did you see this play from Duggar? Because I think you saw some of that last year already. I think you're going to see that a lot more this year as he gets his feet wet and adjusts to the speed of the NFL. We talk so much about the speed of the NFL and how that being bigger, one of the bigger adjustments. Um, I think you're going to see him adjust to that quite fine here in year two. Shelby, by the way, love what he said about what the biggest adjustment was. He said mentally. So the big, one of the biggest jumps for him was mentally knowing what you're doing pre and post, you know, pre and post snap sets you up for so much more success. Cause he said, you know, he played for a small school. I don't remember the name. Illinois State. Yeah, Illinois State. And he said, I was just the best player on the field. I didn't have to really know what formation they were in or, yeah. or what their tendencies were from this alignment. I think that was the biggest jump for him, he said. So I think a lot, there's other teams. I think there's other, like Duggar probably sees some of that as well. Like Lenore Ryan, who's the best player in that league, you know, best player in that oh, subject. Probably like a freelance yeah. all day long. Could do it's anything like he wanted. Them. Now, gotta stick to the script a little bit more and, and, and play within the confines there. And I think he's gonna do that a lot better in year two. That's it. For the Two Foreign Drafts podcast, we're going to jump for this portion of it. We're going to jump now to interviews with head coach Dave Dorn and uh, Purdue head coach Jeff Brom. Let's get it. Now joining the Two Foreign Drafts podcast is current NC State head coach Dave Dorn. Dave, great to have you on the show. Appreciate y'all having me. Where I'd like to start is honestly Aleem McNeil, former NC State defensive tackle, a guy that um, you know was absolutely fantastic for you playing the nose this past year, someone that we had on this podcast and rated very highly in the 2021 NFL draft. Also, I'd love to hear you know the recruiting background. Obviously, played linebacker and running back in high school, had offers from a lot of Blue Blood programs, but obviously wanted to stay in-state, go to NC State. What was that recruiting process like for you? And also, kind of what are your expectations for him now going on to the NFL? Um, you know, we're excited for Aline, first of all, you know, uh, with Detroit. And he's worked really hard uh, to get himself in the condition that he's in. I think he's probably in the best shape of his life. And he looked great when he came back for pro day. Um, and he played really well for us a year ago. You know, he definitely had his best season. Uh, big athlete, you know, in high school, as you mentioned, uh, he was a linebacker and, and played running back, was on the kickoff return as kind of a fullback for him. And he was a lot, you know, smaller at that time, too. He was probably a 240 to 260-pound range guy uh, that, you know, had the frame where you knew he wasn't going to stay at that position, even though he probably did. Uh, he was a baseball player as well, you know, a really good uh, hitter, outfielder. But uh, Liam had a lot of upside. You know, it took him some time. I think he got a little heavy. Um, at times, and he battled that and, and learned the value of conditioning and being productive um, does have something to do with, you know, your ability to, to maintain your, your uh, aerobic condition. And so I think he's really learned a lot. You know, he had the opportunity to, to study some great players here when he was young, you know, being in the same room with Rel Murchison and James Smith-Williams and Bradley Chubb and B.J. Hill. Justin Jones, Contavious Street. Uh, there's been a lot of good defensive linemen here that Aleem was able to learn from. And um, I think that's really important for these younger guys to have that, you know, surrogate big brother, I guess you would say, to show you the ropes. And he definitely had that here. 
Yeah, I'd love to press a little bit more there and talk about kind of, you know, NC State's track record, at least recent track record of producing really top flight defensive line talent. You spoke to Laryl Murchison, Bradley Chubb, BJ Hill, Justin Jones, and Contavious Street. I'd be interested to know now what you attribute to that. How much of that is development in the coaching staff that you've had? But also, I'm sure it had to have been a focus in the recruiting trail as well. Well, I think those young men deserve a lot of credit. They worked really hard. You know, we, we try to recruit guys that not only have talent, but also have the love for training. Uh, you know, it's everyone, I think, loves game day. It's, it's finding those young men that love what it takes to be great on game day for us. We're, we're typically not going to sign, you know, a bunch of five-star defensive linemen or anybody. We're going to get three- and four-star guys and develop them into five-star players is kind of what we do. And there has to be a certain commitment from those guys about how they want to develop. You know, uh, that D-line that Chubb and, and BJ and those guys were a part of, they were all developmental players. They all needed to gain a lot of weight, with the exception of Contavious. He was the only one that came in really put together like, you know, he'd been in college already. You know, BJ gained almost 70 pounds in his career here. Bradley was 230 and finished at 270. Justin was 260 and finished at 300, you know, so – we have to develop these guys and, and they've got to be willing to allow us to develop them and buy into the nutritional aspects of that. And uh, that's just been what we've done here. I think the coaches that we've had in the D line room have helped. They've done a good job. Uh, D'Antonio Burnett, our strength coach uh, and his staff do a great job and it all plays together. You know, I think you recruit them, um, you find the right guys, you mentor them, you develop them, you retain them and, and then you put them in a place where they can become the best version of themselves. And that's one of the position groups where we've had a lineage of players uh, that have done well. And, and really before I got here, Coach Amato had some D linemen with Mario Williams in that class that were, were very elite as well. Shifting the focus a little bit to the 2021 season, I'd be interested to know kind of what you feel is the next step for quarterback Devin Leary, coming, you know, former four star recruit, coming off an eight touchdown, 1,200 passing yard season. What do you feel like is the next step in his development and how he kind of continues to take this passing offense forward under Tim Beck? Well, really, last year would have been just staying healthy. I mean, he was off to a really good start and had the ankle injury. And uh, so, you know, first thing he has to do is, is be out there. <laughs> From a playing standpoint, once he is out there, I think it's just making quicker decisions, you know, getting the ball to guys um, before he has to take hits. And uh, I think that was one thing Ryan Finley did well. He knew where to go with the ball. He got it out quick, and he protected himself because of that. I think that's the biggest thing, quarterbacks. The game starts to slow down. The more they know the offense, the faster they can play. And being with Coach Beck now for his second year is definitely going to help him that way. He's able to finish – Tim's sentences, you know, before he finishes them. And, and so they're lockstep on what's going on, and that'll help him play faster. You know, something I found in the research that I found was impressive. You know, was, NC State saw a massive improvement in its passing attack under Tim Beck this past year, finishing, you know, from 100th in 2019 in EPA per play to top 50 this past season. A lot of deep shots, a high percentage of screens, um, you know, top five rates in the ACC for both of those things. And also, you know, really protected Leary, in my opinion, you know, looking at the area of the field they were targeting from some of the, you know, oftentimes dangerous throws over the middle of the field. How do you expect, you know, Beck to iterate on that offense and even continue to improve with Leary and company in 20? Well, I think you have to think about what Tim had to go through, too. You know, he came in here uh, and and installed his offense January, February. We had uh, three practices under our belt in March, and then we were gone from COVID. (laughs) 
And so he never got the ability to finish his install. He never got the ability to, to really sample the talent because in spring ball, it would have been a great chance for him to really get to know his players and what they can do and, and start tweaking the system to fit those guys. Because uh, you really, you know, he has the plays he likes, but you also want to feature the players, you know, not just run plays, but feature the players. And he didn't get to do that. I mean, so the season was really um, an experiment you know, as it went, like, hey, this this guy's good at this. We need to change this. And so we, over the course of the year, I think he got to know his players where normally you would know that going into the year. And so, you, I, you know, the offense evolves because of his knowledge of the players he has um, with this upcoming season and, and expect it to. Yeah, I think one of those, you know, experiments or those evolutions was Emeka Mezzi, the wide receiver, you know, was an absolutely different animal at outs- yeah. from an outside alignment last year. You know, he worked from the slot a little bit, but then when he was on the outside, averaged 2.4 yards per out run, had the number two receiving grade, according to PFF, in the country behind Heisman winner Devontae Smith when, face press on the- when facing press coverage on the outside. I guess I'd be interested to hear from you kind of what, you know, Mezzi's development has been and what your expectations for him are this upcoming season. Well, to, you know, Mecca's credit, he's a very hard worker. He's consistent. Uh, I think he had a really tough season two seasons ago, and he went to work. You know, he made a commitment to himself. I think he was too hard on himself, uh, maybe had too much pressure on himself. And last year I thought he had more fun. He just cut it loose and played. Uh, he's always been a gifted ball catcher and, you know, I think that showed last year. The 50-50 balls were, were probably not 50-50 when it came to Emeka. He was making a lot more of those plays than the DBs were or getting a PI out of it if he couldn't. Um, and he's driven. You know, he's a guy that came back for an extra year because there's certain things in his game he wants to be able to showcase to, to maybe be a draft pick instead of a free agent. And, and so he's worked really hard this offseason to put himself in a place where that can happen. Corey Durden is another star for the Wolfpack, and we already talked a lot about you know the defensive line and how much you've developed there. Six foot five, three fifteen, with a relentless motor. I think something I wrote in my notes was a bull in a china shop. How does Durden really take that next step for you? And I think he's a guy that I think can be in the conversation for you know top interior defensive lineman in the ACC if all things come together. Well, it'll be fun to see. You know, I, I really can't give you a lot on him because he hasn't played for us yet. Uh, he wasn't here for spring ball. He got here this summer. Uh, he's a nice young man. He works really hard. He's excited about a new opportunity. You know, things just kind of dried up for him down there, and, and he wanted a fresh start, and he's taking advantage of it here. He's done a good job in our summer workouts, but I haven't seen him play football in person yet other than against me. Mm-hmm. We are excited he's here, and we're hopeful that all the things that people write about him are, are going to, you know, come true for him here. But, um, you know, I, I would be, be talking without – you know, the proper information, if I said more than that. Gotcha. You know, staying in the trenches, you know, two offensive linemen we're really excited about for the Wolfpack this upcoming year. Grant Gibson, you know, former defensive tackle turned center, and then also Ike Mikwanu, an absolute monster in the run game. Run, run game led all um, offensive linemen in positively graded run plays from PFF this past year. You know, and they're all paving the way for what is arguably, you know, the top running back in the ACC in Zonovan Knight. You know, how, how excited should Wolfpack fans be, you know, for those bullies up front and specifically this rushing attack in 2021? Well, it always starts at the line of scrimmage in our program. You know, I think that's where games are won and lost, and then we look at it inside out. So the fact that we have another great center, you know, I think Grant did a a phenomenal job learning from Garrett Bradbury and and understanding how to study the game 
Um, and he's a very consistent guy. He's a tremendous leader. He's a great communicator. He's very well respected by coaches and teammates and staff. Uh, so it's awesome to have a captain at center on your football team. Um, Akeem Iguano is, is one of my favorite players to watch uh, in college football, not just on my team. You know, he's he plays football the way that it's supposed to be played. He plays hard. He's a finisher. He has fun. He's energetic. Uh, he loves everything about it. You know, the, the meetings, the training, the practice. He's a great student in the classroom. I mean, everything about him is what you want. And so I'm, I'm very happy that he's getting the, the earned credit and, and recognition. Um, I don't know that there's a better offensive tackle in college football. You know, when you talk about how he plays the game and how violent he is in the trenches, it's fun to watch. Coach, this has been fantastic. That's all I've had for you. But I really wish you the best of luck this upcoming season. Thanks for having me, guys. Go Pack. Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is current Purdue head coach Jeff Brom. Jeff, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Where I'd like to start, honestly, is, you know, I want to focus in on Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore was a guy that, you know, PFF was really high on coming out of Purdue, a guy that I had on this podcast, talked to him a bit about his skill set and what he did in the times that he was healthy at Purdue. And I know you recruited him to Purdue in 2019, one of the few four-star recruits Purdue landed in that class. What was the background there? I'd love to hear the story about his recruitment to Purdue. I know he was an absolutely electric uh, high school football player in Kentucky that you were able to bring over to Purdue. What was that recruitment like, and what did you see in Rondell Moore? before you brought him over to the Boilermakers? You know, Rondell is an exciting, dynamic player. And, uh, you know, going back to his recruitment, uh, there were some connections we had. And Rondell, we kind of developed a relationship, uh, myself and some of our assistant coaches. And, uh, yeah, he was committed to Texas for a while. And uh, one of the main things we told him is that, hey, you know, if you come here, uh, you know, I can promise you're going to be a difference maker. We're going to make sure that, you know, I call the plays, I – uh, help uh, direct the offense with our assistant coaches. We're going to make sure you get your touches, get your, get the ball, and, and you're going to be able to showcase what you're all about and hopefully you do it in year one. And that was kind of the message we gave him. And as we got farther down in the process, I think he started to believe, you know what, uh, maybe I need to, you know, uh, go to Purdue and, and see how this plays out. And, uh, you know, maybe I trust these guys and what they're saying and what they're about. And Without question, we feel like uh, we helped him uh, fulfill his dreams. And uh, year one, uh, you know, on the field as a true freshman, really game one, uh, he broke records uh, right off the bat on national TV and had a tremendous uh, first year. You know, was a All-American as a true freshman. It's only happened three times in the history of the game. Herschel Walker, Adrian Peterson, Rondell Moore, that says a lot. Led the, led the country receiving. He was a guy who loves football. He loves to work. Uh, he puts he puts in the work. Uh, he studies it. Uh, you know, we knew – that this guy was going to give us everything he had, and he was on a mission to be the best and to show the world he's the best. And those are the type of players you love getting, you know, guys that are hungry. They want to go out and prove themselves. They want the ball in their hands. Uh, they want the challenge of playing a great opponent and, and, and displaying your skills to the entire nation, showing them uh, what exactly you can do. So, you know, we were very proud of Rondell. He did a great job. He was here, uh, especially early on before he got injured, uh, really uh, worked extremely hard, uh, wanted to help his team win. And uh, we're, we're very happy that he's been able to move on to the Arizona Cardinals, the highest second-round pick. It's going to do a great job there. Coach Kingsbury's offense, and we're excited for him and his family. 
That 2018 season was absolutely electric, what he did against Ohio State. To do that as young as he was, as a true freshman, I think he broke the PFF record for true freshman broken tackles per reception. It was honestly incredible what he did that season. Also, I'm glad you spoke to kind of, you know, how involved he was in that offense. He was the offense. So many manufactured touches near and uh, and behind the line of scrimmage. Do you expect him to kind of have a similar role? I know Cliff Kingsbury runs the most wide receiver screens in the NFL, at least the highest percentage. I guess, what are your expectations for his role and his success now with Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, and the Arizona Cardinals? I know Rondell wanted to go in the first round. It was a goal of his, but uh, we told him all along, uh, you know, going to Arizona and Coach Kingsbury's offense with Kyler Murray as quarterback. Uh, you know, Cliff does as much college-oriented stuff as you can. He's a little more creative than, than thinks outside the box, maybe an average, um, you know, NFL coordinator. So I think it's a perfect fit. I think he's going to fit in great. They're going to utilize him a lot of different ways. I think and that's the type of player he is. Uh, I think it's important that you do different things with Rondell. He can do so many things. He's versatile. He wants. He needs the ball in his hands. And it's not always down the field, even though, even though he can do a great job of that. You've got to get him some touches in space. Let him shake and bake and uh, cut on a dime and do those things to, to showcase uh, his skills and his talents. And, I, and, I, and I'm sure he's going to have a great first year. I know he's working extremely hard. You know, he's excited about this upcoming season. But I think it's a perfect fit, and I think he'll do great things. I'm going to shift a little bit now towards you know the upcoming season for Purdue. I think you told the Athletic you, your role has definitely changed. I'm going to be heavily involved in regards to the defense. You bring over Coach Brad Lambert, who led the number one scoring defense for Marshall this past season, and, you, and he sp- he spoke to the Athletic as well. He wants to build an attacking defense. You want to you know um, dictate pace, be aggressive. Obviously, all that stuff is easier said than done, Coach. How does that happen for Purdue football? And I guess if you could be specific with what your role is going to be on the defensive side of the ball this year with Lambert and how you're going to move this defense forward. I'd love to hear that. We're excited to have Coach Lambert. I think he brings a ton of experience. He's a former head coach. He's a former defensive coordinator. It's been a lot of great places, a lot of great Power 5 programs. Uh, And beyond that, he's a tremendous person of high character. Uh, He definitely uh, loves people and wants to do his part to help them achieve success. So I think it's going to fit in great. Uh, You know, I was completely upfront with Coach Lambert and all of our new hires and made sure that they understood that you know, going forward, I was going to be a big part of the defense. I was going to be in the room. I was going to, um, you know, set the tone to a certain degree. And obviously, you know, I want a room of a bunch, a collaboration of a bunch of great men that uh, love football and want to compete and that we can all work together to go out there and put on the best uh, product that we can each and every week. And I feel like we've done that. Coach Lambert's going to spearhead that room along with me. But, uh, you know, I wanted to take on my personality. I do want us to uh, be more aggressive in our approach. I do want us to utilize the good players we have and make sure that, um, you know, just like on offense with Rondell, we're, 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 we're utilizing them and showcasing their talents and letting them go do their things. Uh, and we want to, you know, challenge things on defense and, and take chances and go for interceptions and go for sacks and not be afraid to make a few mistakes and not be afraid to give up a big play uh, because that's the type of game we want to play. And, uh, you know, whether it works or not, uh, every single time you step on the field, you never know. But I know we've worked extremely hard since in the last season to identify the weaknesses we have, where we need to get better, how to do that. Uh, we've developed some different packages that we want to make sure we use. We want to be uh, multiple in, in the things that we do. But, um, you know, I feel good about where we're at right now. And our guys have worked extremely hard. I think we've got a hungry group of young men that want to go out there and show what they're all about. And in college football, that's as important as anything. But uh, these guys here – uh, have put in a lot of work and effort, and they want to get back on the field as fast as we can. I think Coach Lammer's going to do a great job. Our whole defensive staff, uh, Ron English, Mark Hagan, uh, 
um, James Adams, Marty Biaggi. I, I really feel good about the uh, the nucleus we have, uh, the collaboration of ideas. Uh, and without question, I want to be a big part of it and help our defense uh, achieve success. You know, offensively, that aggressiveness was obvious, especially this past season. On early downs, first and second down, you know, Purdue passed the ball six, more than 66% of the time, top five rate in college football this past season. What drives kind of that commitment to throwing the football? And I guess, is that just not more of what where the NFL and where college football is going? You know, throwing the ball more often. Now you see that rates going up in the NFL and in college football. I guess what drives that commitment to throwing the football? And do, do you see this is where football is going? This is where, you know, we're going to start to see rates like these, like 66, 66 on early downs more common as kind of the NFL and college football cater to the passing game? You know, the NFL has kind of a reverse course a little bit and it has become more aggressive. It's become a little bit more of a passing uh, league now. Without question, running the football is important. you got to make sure you have balance. you got to make sure you do all those things instead of play action. But, uh, you know, some of the better teams are spreading things out. They're more college-oriented. Um they're more unique and creative in their ways to attack, and we want to continue to do the same thing. That's one thing we've always took pride on here uh, in, on offense is being creative and, and always staying on the attack and utilizing our talent. You know, we've got uh, some quarterbacks that can throw the football. You know, Connell, Jack Plummer, Austin Burton, Michael Lamo, or amongst others. Uh, we've got uh, talented receivers and tight ends, uh, David Bell, Milton Wright, and a, and a slew of receivers that we feel good about that we need to – make sure they, they get their touches. And I think that, uh, you know, when you bring in uh, a collection of players, you've got to identify what are your strengths and maybe what are some things you need to get better at. But when it comes game time, you've got to utilize those strengths. So we want to continue to be aggressive, obviously having balance and making sure that you establish the run and you're able to throw play action off of it. To throw it deep is very important to us. We do take pride in throwing the ball vertically up the field. And I think, you know, for players that want to play at the next level, you know, Playing here in this offense and taking vertical shots can definitely help prepare you for the next level. We have a lot of fun doing it. We want to be creative. Our guys enjoy practicing every day and, and taking shots and competing against their uh, teammates in practice. And, uh, you know, we want that approach to be across the board now. Offense, defense, and special teams. We go have some fun with them. Uh, sticking with the offensive side of the ball, I'd love to hear an update on the quarterback competition there at Purdue. I know you spoke highly of Aiden O'Connell, specifically his accuracy, but also you have Jack Plummer there, who's a big body quarterback that can move. You know, what has your reaction been to kind of their competition or their success this summer? And I guess what's the latest update with the quarterback competition? We like our quarterback room. We feel like uh, we continue uh, to get better each and every day. We got a good uh, group of guys who work extremely hard. They work well together. I think for us, we got to get better as a whole unit. And, uh, you know, sometimes the quarterback takes a little more credit than they deserve, a little more blame than they deserve. And while we need to continue to improve that position, all of us around need to play better. We need to figure out ways to call the game better and make sure that we're not putting too much pressure on the passing game and the quarterbacks. But, uh, you know, Aiden O'Connell is an extremely accurate passer. Uh, he's, he's cool and calm and uh, under pressure and, and really is a great team leader. We feel good about him when he's in there. Jack Plummer, uh, we feel great about as well. He's a little more mobile. Uh, he's a little more athletic. He can make plays outside the pocket. He continues to improve his accuracy and his ability to throw the ball. He's a great leader. We feel like we have two solid quarterbacks that have played football for us. Austin Burton is a transfer backup that has done some great things in practice. He continues to improve. Uh, we wouldn't hesitate to put him in the game as well. He's in the competition. We have a young quarterback, Michael Lamo, who continues to get better and better. Probably has the strongest arm of anybody in the group. He has athleticism. He continues to get bigger and stronger. He's about 6'4", 230 pounds right now. Wow. Uh, and he's got a bright future. So those are four guys we feel really good about. 
Uh, we want to make sure that uh, we're playing smart football, that these guys are efficient, that uh, they're understanding defenses and learning how to direct and lead the offense. But we want to make sure that everyone on the unit uh, picks up their level of play. We go out there to compete and try to score as many points as we can. You spoke a little bit to David Bell, the standout wide receiver for for Purdue, a little bit earlier in the interview. I'd be interested to know. The question for me is, you know, how does David Bell elevate his game this upcoming season? Obviously, one of the most talented wide receivers in the Big Ten, a fantastic player, specifically in contested catch situations or fifty fifty situations. What's the next step for David Bell? How does he really take his game forward? David's a tremendous athlete, great athleticism in football and basketball, a lot of things. Just a natural athlete. He's an extremely hard worker. Uh, he gives you everything he has. He's he's really been able to play injured force at times when maybe some others would not really stick it out. He has, so he's tough. Um, he's physical. He wants to be great. He wants to improve. I think that uh, anytime you throw him the ball, he's going to catch the football. And whether he's guarded very tightly or whether he's open, he's going to find a way to come up with the, uh, the ball uh, in tight coverage for big catches and make plays up the field. I think David understands to continue to elevate his game, just got to continue to get stronger and faster and work on getting separation and work on uh, continuing to be uh, effective up the field uh, and finding ways to get open. And he's worked extremely hard. And, uh, you know, we're proud of the work he's put in. We're proud of the production he's had to this point. But he wants to be great. He wants to compete. He wants to go out there every week and prove himself. Uh, So, you know, he's a – Home state product from Indianapolis. Uh, he bought into the fact that we could come here and showcase his ability and talents. And we feel like we've done a decent job of that. And we want to continue to make sure that David Bell uh, can make a huge name for himself as one of the top receivers uh, in the country. And we feel confident he's going to have a great year this year. You know, shifting focus to the defense side of the ball, we at PFF are really high on George Karloftis. He's already the number 36 player on PFF's 2022 NFL Draft Board. You spoke to the love of the game he has, his hard work, his effort. I love this quote from you. We want to showcase him. We want to make sure we put him in as many positions as as we can. I mean, how how excited should Purdue fans be for George Karloftis this upcoming season? I guess, what what are your expectations for him as he enters this campaign? George represents exactly what you're looking for in a college football player and a boilermaker. Uh, really works extremely hard. <laughs> There's not a person uh, in this building, uh, probably including our coaches and myself, that puts in more work and more time and more effort than George to be the very best he can at his craft. Uh, he's a great teammate. He wants to go out there and prove himself each and every week. He works hard in every single thing he does. Uh, he's an in-state product uh, from right across the street that bought in as well to – Hey, let me come here where I can go showcase what I'm all about and do it in year one. He definitely did it in year one. He put on a, he did a tremendous job. He competed from day one. Uh, he played a lot of snaps. He's somebody that we said, hey, you're going to be our starter and you're going to have to prove to us that you're not ready for it come the first practice of your first day on campus. And he took that and ran with it. Um, you know, this is a guy we want to do some different things with. We want to make sure we, we do showcase him. And uh, on offense, it might be a little easier to do that with in most cases, but on defense, this year, we want to do the same thing. So there are going to be some things we do where, um, you know, we're going to move him around a little bit and make sure that we put him in some positions where he can be isolated one-on-one and do what he does best. Uh, without question, he's got to be great against the pass and the run, and we want to continue to develop all those skills. But making sure that he gets the ability to rush the passer and go one-on-one against offensive linemen and figure out ways to get that matchup that we're looking for and uh, let him go do his thing. Uh, you know, we feel great about where he's at. You know, unfortunately, last year he had a high ankle sprain early. Um, 
he got sick with uh, you know, some things as well that uh, knocked him out of games. Uh, so really didn't get a chance to play a whole lot. And uh, he's extremely healthy now. He's ready to get to work. Uh, and we can't wait uh, to see, you know, what he does this year on the field. And I know our fans can't wait to see because I think he's a tremendous talent, an even better person, and a tremendously hard worker uh, every day he comes to this office. One more question for you, Coach, and I really appreciate the time. How much do you expect his younger brother, Yanni, to play this season? I know he's a highly coveted recruit from the 2021 class. I'm sure Purdue fans are really excited to see the next Carl Loftus in line. What have been your early kind of um, your reactions to him or early impressions of Yanni? And should we expect kind of a significant impact from him in 2021? We're extremely excited about Yanni. Uh, unfortunately, he came in with a little bit of a hamstring injury that, uh, you know, didn't allow him to go through spring practice. We had to make sure we got uh, that right and fully healed. I feel like right now he is fully healed. And, uh, so we haven't been able to see a whole lot of Yanni on the field yet. So I don't want to, um, you know, put too much um, expectations on him, but uh, he's definitely tough. Uh, he plays extremely hard. He practices hard. He's put in the work as well. He's been uh, in the building as much as you can be rehabbing and, and getting stronger and, He's a guy that's got to develop a little bit, and uh, uh, he's done outstanding at that to this point. But he's going to play, and uh, we'll kind of just feel uh, how he, um, you know, comes along in his position, and 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 uh, if he's comfortable, uh, you know, going out there and learning the defense and fitting in and knowing exactly what to do and being able to play fast. But uh, internally, we've got high expectations, and we want him to. Uh, get that opportunity to do it as fast as he can. We're hopeful that it's it's game one this year where he can go out there and feel good and we get his feet wet and then he can continue to progress from there. But uh, a great talent, uh, works extremely hard. We just had to get him healthy here early on, but right now he's feeling great and we're excited about him. Fantastic stuff, Coach. Really appreciate the time and best of luck this upcoming season. Okay, thank you guys. Keep up the good work. You too. That's going to do it for the Monday episode of Two Foreign Drafts. Uh, we are going to be back on Wednesday, Wednesday episode. We're also going to call for a mailbag here pretty soon. Go to Questions Apple Podcasts, drop down a review. We're also giving away draft guides. You drop a review, mention that you want a draft guide, we might send one your way. Mm-hmm. Leave a review, leave a mailbag question. We're going to send one, uh, do a mailbag, not this week, but next week. Really appreciate you all. Uh, until next time, Austin Gale, producer Max Chadwick, Mike Renner, Mike Quinn, Two Foreign Drafts. Mm-hmm.